Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to ACO Watch, a midweek review. I'm your host, Greg Masters, the publisher of the blog, acowatch.com, and also known to some on Twitter as Two Health Guru. This is the ninth broadcast in our weekly series that monitors the accountable care organization industry and focuses on emergence of known market entrants, the developing regulatory environment, and ongoing industry buzz. Joining me today as special guest commentator is Jan Sidorov, MD, a self-described blog blog vocateur. (laughs) I get that right. The publisher of the witty and informative disease management care blog and a former medical director of the Geisinger Health Plan, Dr. Sidorov recently returned from a conference on ACOs where he posted a series of blog entries including his key takeaways and insights. Today we'll consider several of his observations and thoughts given the challenges associated with independent physician engagement in the ACO process. Welcome, Jan. Hi, Greg. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. And I'm I'm happy you can join us. And first up, let's do a sort of a general geolocation um, uh, preview here. You're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. uh, Just, uh, I guess, east of Harrisburg, located in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hershey. Chocolate Town. Okay. And uh, we're broadcasting on February the 2nd. 2011, and I guess we're in the midst of a perfect storm, and uh, you're surviving so far. Hanging in there. We're living off of uh, melted snow. We intend to to wait this out as long as we can before we give up the ghost and die. Well, my heart goes out to you and all those out in the Midwest and the East Coast. It looks like a pretty serious storm. So the key question today and for the foreseeable future remains, how do ACO sponsors bake this pie? Absent implementation details, we all seem to know the basic ingredients, i.e., an ACO is an association of physicians with or without a hospital partner or partners that assumes responsibility for the ongoing management of a, uh, a patient population for their health status. But how the actual recipe or local market work plan materializes is another question. For instance, should organization, governance, and equity considerations be first up on the table? Or might the independent physician engagement process be more of the internal readiness assessment, educational, and team building variety? These are certainly open questions. Other than top of mind, mature, fully integrated delivery systems such as Mayo, Kaiser, and Geisinger, as well as the equally savvy yet perhaps lesser-known pool of integrated medical practices that embraced a pre-ACO yet patients-first group practice mindset, such as Billings, the Everett Clinic, Dean Health System et al., who rise to the head of the class as models of ACO leadership, there's another tier of candidates that includes the likes of Advocate Health Partners in Illinois and also Monarch Healthcare in California. While it's hard to generalize, this latter class of entities, say at least advocate, might be characterized as somewhat more of an institutional variety in search of a coherent and uniting physician group practice culture. 
versus the typical top-down institutionalized play. We all know a system agenda to herd cats more often than not fails. So with that as a perhaps context and introduction, where shall we start, Jan? Uh, I thought that was a great introduction. We can talk about the docs. Um, one of the one of the takeaways that I've learned in the last at that conference, as well as all the other reading I've I've been doing, and it, you know it sounds self, sort of self serving because I, I am after all a physician, uh, and that is um, it has been assumed for months now that uh, you know hospitals are going to be the ones that are leading this uh, charge. Uh, not necessarily so. I mean, there are some very good examples that you talked about. There are other examples out there of physician-led, physician-owned, almost physician-capitalized groups out there that are very, very interested in um, becoming an ACO. And surprise, surprise, already have a track record extending back months, if not years, of being able to assume full capitated risk for populations, uh, end the year with a profit. Oh, and by the way, do a very, very good job of uh, taking care of their patients and tracking outcomes and showing showing the kinds of numbers that um, that bureaucrats, policymakers, and you know skeptics like me uh, th- that those numbers really do show that they do a pretty good job of taking care of patients and doing it within within the constraints of a of a partially capitated or full capitated system. Do, do you want to give us maybe just a quick overview of, of of where you came from in terms of your involvement with, uh, for instance, Geisinger as, as one of the trophy plans out there and, and how that perhaps forms your view of, of ACOs? There was there there was my involvement at Geisinger. I'm a primary care physician, so I was, uh, in addition to being the a medical director, I was also a, a a doc responsible for taking care of patients, you know, in the in the usual and traditional kinds of ways. But one of the things the Geisinger Health Plan also uh, struggled with was uh, other physician groups out there that are, that were not necessarily uh, loyal, let alone um, uh, partial to, you know, the Geisinger way of looking looking at the world. I mean, um, you know, physician practices out there that pretty much have to eat what they kill. And the Geisinger Health Plan, like a lot of other managed care organizations out there, uh, learned very quickly that we had to accommodate uh, those other physician groups in our network. What I found uh, early on as a young medical director was that there were some physician groups consisting of tens, consisting of tens if not hundreds of, of, uh, of docs that were doing a very, very good job of taking care of their patients. Uh, the role of the health plan was to... Uh, act as a fiduciary, but in many respects kind of stay out of their way and let them do what they had already learned to do in a, in a, in a very, very good fashion. So while the Geisinger health plans out there, I think, while the Geisinger health systems and their associated plans, I think, you know, have, have captured the public's imagination and certainly captured the, the administration's attention, um, there are other organizations out there uh, that have not been in the public spotlight that are doing a very very good job of taking care of assigned patient populations, you know, on a on a geographic and capitated basis. They they own they own those patients and they take it very seriously and they do a very very good job. 
Two questions. One is, was that intentional on Geisinger's part to have you involved in clinical medicine as well as as a medical director? And uh, okay. And the other one is, uh, it, it can you can can entities start there, or to, or do they sort of aspire to get there? Uh, the traditionally in a lot of these organizations, uh, it is expected that. Physicians that uh, are administrative positions also continue to see continue to see patients, you know, until you become something like a CEO when it becomes practically impossible. So, all of the medical directors in the health plan were also taking care of patients. It was kind of ironic because every once in a while we'd come up with other managed care schemes like uh, pre-certification, and lo and behold, I was, you know, I, I'd approve pre. Uh, be approving some pre-certification in the afternoon, and then I'd have to be, you know, struggling under it as a doctor in the in the in the afternoon. Um, so so that's pretty much the landscape at, at a lot of these organizations. As far as my own personal involvement, uh, I I came through this somewhat circuitously. My background is in health services research, so I really thought of disease management and population health management and, and care management, you know, studying the outcomes of patients kind of as applied health services research. So instead of like doing formal grants, you know, we just went into the claims data sets sent surveys to patients and and studied them using you know the same kinds of approaches that people do in academic health healthcare settings then you are perfectly suited to this conversation uh well it's nice of you to say that and by the way it was nice of you to say nice things about my blog <laughs> yes an excellent blog <laughs> thank you we very much enjoyed it so so in this soup of ACO issues and concerns, what's what's really top of mind for you from a from a practicing physician's perspective? And and can we differentiate between docs who are involved in group practices versus uh solo docs in a voluntary medical staff organization? Well, you know, the old adage is that when you've seen one managed care organization, you've seen one managed care organization, you know, that uh they're they're that that even though they kind of have the same basic architecture, when you really uh, open up the lid and look inside and see how they operate on a day-to-day basis, they're all very very unique, both in terms of you know culture and and policies and uh, you know their relationship with the groups and and and, and everything else. You know the the regulations vary from from state to state. Um, I think we're going to see. If this works out, by the way, and I'll get to the, a big threat in a second, but I think we're going to see that that if ACOs do take root and if they are successful, there's not going to be any one you know framework out there. We're going to find that if you've seen one ACO, you've you've seen one one ACO, which brings you know to mind one of the threats to this whole thing, and that is the regulations as we speak. I haven't looked lately, but the regulations as we speak are still being developed by CMS on this whole ACO business. I hope that they're flexible enough, and I hope CMS is flexible enough in their interpretation to allow you know, different types of arrangements involving different levels of physician integration and leadership and, 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 and all the other uh, things that go into a soup uh, to, to make this, to, to, to allow you know, um, uh, all the different models that are possible out there 
really have a run at making at making this work. Um, your point about soup is pretty good. You know, uh, when it comes to cooking, you know, there's the there's the soup methodology, and then there's the souffle methodology. <laughs> when, you make, when you make a soup, you know, you're allowed to be creative. You know, a little bit of tomatoes, and chicken stock, uh, other stuff that's left over in the refrigerator. You cook it all up, and at the you know, in that that afternoon, you know, it's it tastes great. Souffles, on the other hand, I mean, you got to put everything in exactly the right way uh, all the time, every time. That oven's got to be at, at exactly that right temperature. Um, and uh, if you don't cook it exactly right, you know, you have a very, very flat, flat souffle. Uh, very few people can pull off a souffle. Lots of people can pull off can pull off soups. I hope that the regulations out there allow for some soup making in the ACO market. Well, since you mentioned that, uh, according to now this is on Twitter. I'm following uh, the at ACO task force, which is uh, noted as the um, it's the site for the American Health Lawyers Association. Uh, their participation on Twitter, and they tweeted today that according to Berwick says ACO rules to be unveiled within a month. The countdown continues. So well. <laughs> <laughs> here's 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 my prediction for blog radio. I'll be the first one out. And that is there's no way ACOs are going to be in place and running uh by the statutory deadline of January 1, 2012. I mean, uh if the, if the regulations aren't going to be out for another 30 days, uh you know, who who's going to be able to uh how CMS going to get those get those initial proposed rules uh commented on and finalized? And allow everybody to do the kind of planning necessary, all the capital and all the and, and all the governance issues in place by January one. It's it's becoming increasingly um, unlikely, I'd say. Don't you think? Well, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know what the typical beginning to end cycle is on the notice of proposed rulemaking to the first release to eventually what's finally adopted, but I can't see that playing out in anything less than a 90, 120-day time frame. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, practically speaking, I just think the timeline is, is, is not doable. Um, l- let me go back to... Um, this recipe, the soup versus souffle idea. So, if I'm a I'm a primary care physician um, in your average community hospital uh, uh, situation, uh, i.e., I'm in private practice or perhaps single or uh, group uh, single or group practice affiliated, and I'm not engaged in this ACO conversation yet. What should my recipe d- be to get informed and make some intelligent decision about? Whether to get involved or not, you know, for the while, um, while the, the 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 literature out there and many of the other bloggers and everybody else seem to be pointing to quote integration unquote as a uh, as a as one of the key ingredients from my own point of view um, and my own reading that seems to be while necessary not sufficient. So if at a staff meeting. Um, uh, or you know, a county medical society meeting, or you know, uh, uh, the local hospitals. You know, call everybody into a room to talk about an ACO, and you're surveying the uh, the the place. I don't know if looking out and and seeing that you know you have all the right specialists and that there's all the right um, 
um, you know, all the all the right ingredients from from the point of view of being able to take care of a patient from top to bottom. I don't know if that's necessarily enough. Um, and if I was a physician, I'd be looking for you know some other things out there to be part of the uh, to be to be the room before I say you know this is something worth spending a lot of time on and this is something that uh, I want to I want to participate in. Um, for example, I'd I'd want to I'll give you one example. You know, if you're a doctor and you're and you're thinking about uh, hopping into and participating in an account in a quote unquote accountable care organization uh, discussion, I'd be really interested in leadership. You know, do you have the kind of leadership out there that uh, understands the role of uh, doctors and the doctor patient relationship, uh, but can also reconcile the need to use you know, population-based outcomes to, you know, to drive the organization. So on the other hand, while I'm as a, I as a doctor, you know, believe in the doctor-patient relationship, I'm also going to have to be willing to and be willing to follow um, a clinical leader that says, you know, Jan, uh, your hemoglobin A1C levels on your patients with diabetes um, are just a little bit higher than 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 we need that we're sticking to in this organization, and this is something that we have to have a conversation about. And unless you have docs in the organization that are willing to to do that with you, um, you know, I, I don't know if a quote unquote ACO would necessarily be able to would be would necessarily be able to succeed. Right, and of course we don't know what the proscription of what they look like and how they operate is going to be yet. We're, we're, everyone's pretty much moving on the general guidance we understand so far as what's been written in the law and the Q&A, at least that the CMS has posted to their website. But in this particular case, perhaps contrasting it with the prior managed care revolution, is in ACOs can be organized by uh, primary care physicians. They can be organized by specialists. I think in the formula that they're talking about, they're defining primary care from the point of view who is providing the preponderance of care. So, for instance, an, an oncologist could be a primary care physician for cancer patients. So, in this in this go round, it seems like we have even more broadened uh, capabilities and potential mixed messages and conflicts because so many other stakeholders can step up and say, "Hey, I want to play." Does that does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense, and um, uh, you know, you raise a really good point. So, in the core, just talking about ACOs, you know, uh, there's the quote-unquote primary care provider, but I think what you what you brought up is a good point. There's the responsible provider or the principal provider, and many times, um, oncologists when they're taking care of a patient, you know, through a course of chemotherapy, they're the ones that are in charge. Another example of that are the um, patients that are in renal failure being managed uh, through their dialysis, for example. The nephrologist is the is really the principal physician that's 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 coordinating all the care. Yes, uh, so th- that's um, as you look to leadership. So I'm, that kind of came up when you mentioned the whole look to leadership question if i'm really a uh, a physician trying to you know root myself in the conversation and make some perhaps business decisions uh, around acos is you look to leadership well where is the leadership so uh, um where are you on um whether there should be an institutional partner 
in an ACO, whether that be a hospital, a hospital system, or a health plan? What, what's your take on that? I think I think it helps. I think the uh, it certainly needs to be tested in ACOs, and I have a I have a funny feeling that. Um, when all those contracts get awarded, that a majority will probably end up going to hospital-led hospital-led organizations. But I think there are going to be some nimble, some hungry, and some well-organized physician groups that are going to say, hey, we can do this, uh, and we're willing to um, manage the gain share, uh, and we don't need a hospital to do that. We already control you know, the patient flow through our local hospital. Um, we're not interested in sharing in, in sharing anything with the hospital in terms of the in terms of the gain share. Um, you know, I think there's some doctor groups, for example, out in California that can do that. They're they're already kind of doing it. They're already capitated. ACO is just one more step down the line. Who who are the most? So do you think the hospital is the more logical? Uh, well, yeah, I think the hospital's more logical. You know, they have. I mean, one 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 thing about doctors is that when they get together, um, they became they can become a very powerful force. But um, you know, uh, I know we're on the radio, and uh, I also know that I'm among friends. You know, one of the things that uh, can get in the way of doctors is that we're all used to being chiefs, and there's very few of us that are that are willing to be willing to be braves. So you know, uh, in in most uh, physician settings, um, you know it's really hard, as you mentioned, to herd all those cats into a you know an organization with a with a kind of a unitary vision that is going to do all the things necessary to you know make this make this model financially work. There's so many open questions. Um, <laughs> you know, the, how will they be paid? Will there be ups, up and down risk sharing ultimately? Um, how how uh, what will integration look like? Uh, certainly, the physician integration, building bridges to to um, the pri- the independent physician is is key, and, and it it just seems to me that <laughs> the universe of concerns are so wide and so deep that it's just hard to fathom uh, how this gets pulled off in in this little neat little time frame we're facing. You know what though, if the, the 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 key thing from my point of view, I mean I mentioned I mentioned physician leadership and I also mentioned that I don't think hospitals necessarily have to be um the lead dog in this. Um but the other the other thing is that in the whole world of care management uh and getting patients uh to do a to to do the kinds of things in uh, a primary care Paradigm. I hate to use that word, but you know, when you're thinking about using um, uh, providers, principal care providers who you know coordinate care and through coordinated care keep patients away from the emergency room and keep them out of the hospital, and thereby you reduce healthcare costs and you get a nice big gain share, fat gain share, you know, at the at the end of a at the end of a year. Um, I think the key thing there is the non-physicians uh, who and I've written a lot about this in my blog, you know, when you see a really good nurse who understands primary care, understands um, what worries patients, who understands, um, you know, that 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 uh, overlap between quality and healthcare costs, uh, can make intelligent calls about whether or not the patient need, to, when the patient is telephoning in, whether or not they need to be seen today, whether or not they need to be, whether or not this can wait until tomorrow, whether or not they need to go to the emergency room, you know, both 
situational awareness, common sense, and um, deep experience combined with you know a good education. When you have that kind of non-physician healthcare professional, pharmacist, dietitian, respiratory therapist, but usually a nurse, um, they can be so powerful in 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 helping to you know reduce utilization and and, and drive quality to the point where um, they they make it so easy for the doctors. I mean that's one of the things I've seen at Geisinger. That's one of the things that you know I've seen in other organizations where I've where I've done done some done some consulting. So to the degree that physicians and or hospitals are willing to appropriately, when it makes sense, get out of the way of these other healthcare professionals that can be a member of your team, um, uh, that is probably going to turn out to be one of the the, the the biggest ingredients, most important ingredients in, in in ACO success. And by the way, that's one of the things that has repeatedly turned up in a lot of the a lot of the demos, the group practice demo, for example, that was sponsored by Medicare. All those organizations had very very strong nurse led care management programs. The so-called mid-level practitioners. Uh, you know the the, the I, I suppose so. Although although. Um, when you say mid-level practitioners as a doctor, you know, right away I begin to think about physician's assistants and nurse practitioners as, you know, persons that are also, as prof- you know, the professionals that also see patients one-on-one and, and, and provide care in, on that basis. Um, that's really not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are nurse care managers who provide um, patient Education, although it's more than education, it's helping patients learn how to t- better take care of themselves, be more confident, um, more um, aware of how important it is for them to participate in their own care, um, to do that telephonically, to do that face to face. It is a. It's. It's not. It's not a master's. You don't need a master's degree necessarily to do that. You know, um, I personally think a registered nurse is probably the the, the gives you the the level that's nece- level training that's necessary to do that. And I think if you take an RN and you turn her turn her or him into a nurse practitioner, for example, a master's prepared practitioner, you know, you you have. You have someone that's very important, very trained, very capable, but that's not necessarily the person you want or need, you know, to manage a a um, you know a primary care cohort of say 2,000 patients, of whom 15% have diabetes, and of which you know maybe a third of them have been seen in the last year. You know, you 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 need a different skill set and a different kind of provider on your team who can, who can manage those patients while you're. You know, back in the clinic, seeing patients on a one-on-one basis. It, it sounds mo- almost like a coaching function. Is that what you're getting at? Uh, you know, and that's actually I've seen that word "coach" appear in some of the job descriptions for these for these kinds of individuals out there. Nurse coaches, care management coaches, advocate, uh, yeah, advocate, patient, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, in what culture is it? Which what culture is more fertile? To enable that, is it on the institutional, whether it be hospital, health plan, integrated delivery system side, or uh, would it be seated uh, more effectively in a physician group practice physician culture? Or well, does, it, does it matter? Uh, you know, it, it may not matter. You know, I've seen I've I've seen hospital administrators who get it. You know, but on the other hand, I've also seen other hospital administrators who think of these individuals um, in the same in the same context as uh, discharge. Managers, 
you know, whose job it is is to help decrease that length of stay and to get patients out of the hospital as quickly as, as possible. As a matter of fact, some of the hospitals, I think, are going to make mistakes out there by assuming that their discharge ca- case managers are the ones who can, you know, assume the mantle of this of this of this coaching. On the other hand, I've seen physicians who are very much stuck in the um, in in a you know in a in a style of clinical medicine that you know regards the the, the doctor patient relationship as holy territory that uh, no one is allowed to to tread on unless you're a member of the priesthood. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a role for that certainly, uh, and as a as a doctor, I certainly respect that, and I'm I'm willing to genuflect before that altar also. But you know, when it comes to persons with diabetes whose hemoglobin A1C isn't quite where it needs to be, and who are struggling with insulin dosing, um, gosh darn it all, there are there are other healthcare professionals out there that can help that person much more capably than I, and by the way, keep them out of the emergency room, and by the way, need lead to a gain share down the line. So, um, if if all healthcare is local, and once you've seen one, quote, ACO, unquote, and you might even say once you've seen one local market configuration of provider delivery, you've seen one, can you generalize here about... Uh, uh, about the uptake of, of ACOs, is it more likely to happen on the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, the Southwest? I mean, is there any enabling secret sauce here? Yeah, you know, when I was when I was at the uh, conference and during the course of my reading, um, you know, the 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 most the the most visible hotbed for all of this, you I know, mean, obviously is California because there are some physician groups out there that um, survived the PHO debacles back in the 1990s. Right, uh, they didn't go belly up. They managed to, um, um, you know, do what it is that they needed to do to to operate under a capitated environment, and they've done a very very good job of doing that. But lo and behold, you know. In other states around the country, there are these physician groups, physician-led groups uh, that have been taking, you know, partial capitation from their local managed care organization. Um, have have you know the nurse care managers out there doing what it is that they need to do? Have developed um, you know smart, flexible relationships with uh, with with the with the health insurers that you know share, you know, some of these responsibilities, you know, you send us the data, we'll give you the data, you you help fund the care management, we'll give them, you know, space in our, space in our clinic where, you know, they're they're already pretty far down down the road and they're not, you know, they're not being published in health affairs, you know, they're not being written about in the New England Journal of Medicine, um but they're but they're out there and I think I think they're ready to go. You know, I I think this I think this could work, and I just I just hope that the regulations aren't so cumbersome or so late, you know, that that these other physician groups out there can't participate in this, you know. Right, and I, I would also add perhaps Florida into that mix as well, if for no other reason than the the, the Medicare concentration down there and uh, almost a frontier culture of anything goes in medicine as far as organization. I, I don't think they're limited by. Um, like I know in California we have the uh, corporate practice and medicine um, uh, rule, uh, and I believe which which is can get 
rather easy to get around, but still it presents somewhat of a barrier of corporations getting involved in direct medical practice. But um, Florida, Florida is another one as well. And um, at Geisinger, um, one thing I've, I've wondered is they have a history somewhat like Kaiser in terms of longevity, don't they? Um, if anything, they might be a little bit older than Kaiser. As, as I recall, Kaiser Kaiser's pedigree goes back to what the um, the, uh, the the 1930s. Sidney Garfield, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now Geisinger started back in 1917, as I recall, 1918. So obviously, a long history developing where they are. Today, very creative, um, well-defined local delivery system, fully integrated. Yet they've got this program, Proven Care, um, and I don't see widespread adoption of a similar like Proven Care model in the health plan community. Do you have any sense of what's up there or why? Well, you know, uh, the proven the proven care concept, as I understand it, includes um, you know the guarantee, which uh, essentially uh, extends out. I believe it is a period of time after the patient gets discharged from the hospital, during which time that the patient gets readmitted. Is it thirty days, sixty days? But you know, so for, so for some period of time after the patient gets discharged from the hospital. If that patient gets readmitted, the um, it's up to the hospital to eat that additional cost, not the not the health plan. So that's the proven care guarantee concept, um, and that you know is the is is um, I think being interpreted by uh, Medicare as value value quote unquote value based based purchasing. One of the um, problems with that model is somewhat mathematical, and that is. It is possible to price it so that it is actuarially neutral to both parties, so that uh, you can you, the the hospital can demand a greater um, essentially DRG payment on behalf of the notion of being of providing a superior level of care and to also uh, help partially compensate them for the unavoidable hospitalizations which will happen. Uh, the managed care organization uh, gets to transfer a little bit extra risk because they don't have to pay for the, for the hospitalization when that happens. But because there are fewer hospitalizations, the managed care organization comes out ahead. And when everyone squares their budget up at the end of the year, uh, the same amount of money is being spent. I hope I'm not throwing you off here, but th- that that came up for me uh, thinking about the um, uh, the genesis, the history of, of Geisinger, uh, Geisinger as their <laughs> Geisinger. <laughs> you know that came up at Health Camp San Francisco. <laughs> there was this mo- they, there was a merger of Geisinger and Kaiser called Geisinger. I thought that Geisinger, yeah, kind of a slip. Wintel, yeah. right? But is it unique in the day in the DNA of of Geisinger to develop a model like proven care and is it interesting or is it is it a, a reasonable question as to why other health plans haven't haven't offered a similar product out there is it that they just can't do it they they can't compete with uh, the Geisinger model or 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 what no i think i think the the issue is that there's a lot of gamesmanship involved in, in that and uh the problem is that um 
Well, the, the, the problem is the gamesmanship, the short-term gamesmanship and making it all be actuary, what I call actuarially neutral. The, um, the, the good news, though, is the long-term uh, phenomenon here, and that's what happened to DRG. So while at first everybody you know, kind of wins because nobody loses, over the long term, over the long term, you can ratchet down those payments. It's easier to ratchet down those payments so that uh, over the long term, I think you, you, you'll see the same thing that happened to DRGs. You force greater efficiency into the system. So I think it has merits long term, but, but getting mm-hmm. getting from here to there is, a, is going to be a challenge. And as as we hear more about bundled payments and as that become a, 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 main, a, a mainstream um, implementation tactic of ACOs, I think ultimately each facility will have to deal with that question themselves. Right. So we have about nine minutes remaining. Let, let me run a few questions by you. Um, and going back to your um, your blog, on um, you had a post, no faux ACOs here. Uh, apparently it's a Berwick comment uh, at uh, one of the sessions you attended. Um, what did he mean by that? What, what's behind the warning? Uh, basically, as I now I wasn't in the room, uh, so this was, uh, and that's not that's not his quote. Um, but basically, I think he said is is that there are um, organizations out there that are seeing this basically as a new no lose proposition. Just take the hospital, uh, tell all the physicians that they're uh, part of a, a a legal a minimally legal entity. Uh, start taking care of patients uh, under the usual fee-for-service stuff. And if at the end of a year, because, you know, expenses go up, expenses go down, there's an underwriting cycle, uh, if at the end of the year uh, the ACO just happens to have a good year with fewer hospitalizations, um, they could by accident fall into a gain share, Right. Uh, so Don Burrick, I think, was letting everybody know that they're going to be when when the ACOs, when the ACO wannabes start to apply to CMS to contract as a as an ACO. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they're going to be looking for are organizations that are just window dressing themselves up as an ACO and uh, and and don't really mean it mean it for the long term. That will be a pretty tight net if an outcome if they want to rule out sort of. Accidental outcomes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but you know it's it's possible because you know cl- healthcare claims uh, have so much noise in them, and they go up, they go down. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if there's a if there's not a lot of flu, for example, in the Medicare population, which happens, um, you know, we have a mild flu season that translates in, trans- translates into fewer hospitalizations with pneumonias, and it's possible. That you know a big healthcare system in 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 um, you know the, our our mother of holy deficit healthcare system located in Nowheresville you know USA could see you know a drop in claims and they could say hey it wasn't because of you know the better flu season it was because of our very very strong you know urology group and our very strong cardiology group managing managing patients you know and they slap some outcomes together and they expect to get the gain share. Okay, moving along rapid fire here. Also on your blog, you um, you talked about the uh, attribution question in ACOs, and you cited a uh, I think it's a Milliman right. uh, article. What what what's Great. the attri- at, what's the attribution issue about? 
great great paper. Uh, if you go to the Milliman website, you can find it. It's uh, readily available for download after I think you put in some personal information. Um, but uh, you know, the, the main thing about attribution is whether or not it's prospective or retrospective. Um, the when when the um, when the claims that are used for gain share are all tallied up. Uh, should they be tallied up on a population that has been assigned day one to a ACO, uh, and you and you and you add all that stuff up on a going forward basis, or should you wait until the end of the uh, cycle and choose a population that looks like they were using the ACO and and look at the claims retrospectively? That's the uh, that's the, that's that's the main issue there. That's uh, CM, CNF, CMS is going to have to decide when it when it comes out with the regulations, prospective or retrospective attribution. In the closing thoughts on the conference you attended, uh, one of your posts says a sixty percent chance of making money and the concentration of risk and power. What did you mean by that? Oh man. I wrote that. <laughs> you did on January twentieth. Must have been some uh, some uh, factoid or claim you heard. Clo- yeah. Closing, yeah. closing thoughts on accountable care organizations: a sixty percent chance of making money, and the concentration. Oh yes, 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 yes. Now I understand. Yeah. Um, if you look at the physician group practice demo, uh-huh. even though everybody hit quality measures. Only sixty percent. Only um, six out of ten of those groups actually got any money back, mm-hmm. and only one out of ten got a lot of money. So if you're if you're thinking that uh, you know this ACO stuff is a is a um, is, is a gold mine uh, for you, and that you're gonna you know uh, mana is gonna uh, shekels are gonna rain down from CMS shekels are gonna rain down from the sky. Uh, you may want to read that, read about the group practice demo, and and see how, all, despite doing all the right things, and despite 100% having having very very strong care management programs and organizations, I think uh, some very very strong organizations uh, uh, participated in this. Uh, four of them didn't make any money at all. So you know, here you are thinking about jumping on the ACO bandwagon. Uh, and sinking a lot of capital into health systems and hiring all these nurses and you know all the all the all the indirect costs of applying and you know you have a sixty percent chance of making money. Good luck with that. So we're almost at the end, but uh, is there anything you seminal thought or key takeaway from that conference that made sense to you that you might want to share? Well, going back. Uh, the the it is very very possible for uh, docs to um, either do this by themselves, uh, uh, and there are plenty of resources out there that show docs how to do that. Um, some of which are on my blog, although I didn't mean to plug it. Uh, and even if there's a partnership between the hospital and a physician group in doing this, it's still very possible. Uh, for the physicians to be the ones that are responsible for leading for leading the way, um, I think it's good and proper and intelligent to have hospital-led 
ACOs out there. I think it's good and possible to have genuine 50-50 partnerships. But I am also uh, very interested and I'm very, very hopeful uh, that the that the physician-led ones, either with or without hospitals, are also uh, explored under the regulations and you know, I hope that's. I hope. I hope they succeed. Uh, you know, I think that model has a lot of merit, and you know, uh, both on behalf of my patients as well as my profession, I hope it works out that way. Well, you may not want to plug your blog, but but I certainly will. It's it's an excellent blog, and it, the URL is diseasemanagementcareblog.blogspot.com. Check it out. Uh, use very useful. Very much enjoyed uh, reading it and chatting with you today. Um, clearly, there are going to be some winners and losers here, and uh, we're all uh, waiting to some degree to see just what uh, mark we're actually aiming for. Um, if, if the physician group practice demonstration was to a large degree um, um, the argument in favor of an ACO, I think it was a rather tepid conclusion, at least to build uh, you know a, a game plan going forward. But who can who can argue with the principles of an accountable care organization and getting physicians to be responsible for a continuum of care and talk about accountability and responsibility for health status? I mean, there could be no greater contribution from from physicians to to their particular community. So I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Jan Sidorov, for joining me. Thank you, Greg. And I hope to let's do this again sometime. And, and next week, we're going to continue uh, in the uh, conversation around engaging voluntary physicians. We're going to continue the conversation engaging uh, independent physicians in the ACO conversation from vision through fulfillment, and I hope that you can join us then. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.